0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman and this week I spoke with sound recordist Michael Raphael from Rabbit Ears Audio and Rudy Trubit, who is the director of audio for Lionel. Rudy and Michael worked together on sourcing a new group of steam whistles for Lionel's new products. They traveled to North Carolina and recorded over 15 steam whistles, which are incredibly challenging sounds to record because of the high amount of SPL and Lionel's specific needs. Although steam whistles emerged in the mid-19th century as a warning device, train whistles quickly became the rail industry's iconic sound. Well, thanks so much, you guys, for taking the time to talk with me. I have Michael Raphael and Rudy uh, Trubit from Lionel Trains, and we're actually talking about a really unique project that you guys reached out to me about, which I'm really interested to find out. Tell me a little bit of background just about how this project came about and even, Rudy, with your background of what's your involvement with Lionel Trains.
1: Uh, thank you for having me. I'm the director of audio for Lionel and have been working on this project for many years, first as a consultant and now as an employee. Mm-hmm. And... Um, We uh, do a lot of our own custom field recording for the models. We're trying to simulate the sound of a particular locomotive, whatever the model is that we're building. We want that to be um, prototypical. We want it to be playable and responsive to the person who's operating it. Um, And a a big part of that, of course, is having all the right bells and whistles.
0: So uh, how did you come in contact with uh, Michael? How did you guys meet and? what was that what were some of those early conversations like
2: well it's a it's it's kind of a longer story um, I think uh, I mean I don't even know how many years ago maybe two thousand five Rudy and I first met um, mm. I was That's working for right. a public radio program based in l a and um, Rudy and I were both uh, actively involved in field recording and got to know each other that way and Around the time, I think Rudy, you know, was living in the Bay Area, and uh, we often needed someone to go out in the field um, and do things here and there for the program that I worked for. And aside from just building up our friendship, uh, we often hired Rudy to do a lot of remote tapings for us, uh, some really odd things. I remember one time hiring Rudy to go record um, a dancer mm-hmm. Um for a a radio story that a a colleague of mine was doing. And uh, I mean, pretty much all that Rudy was doing was recording uh, movements on the, on the floor. Uh, Yeah. It was a, it was a a principal ballerina
1: for the uh, San Francisco ballet. And um, that was quite an unusual and
2: interesting gig. Mm. You know, and sometimes it was just people talking in front of a microphone who couldn't go to a studio, but oftentimes uh, Rudy would get the more interesting assignments. And um, we just stayed in touch over the years and, and as I got deeper and deeper into field recording and, and doing, uh, you know, building sound effects libraries for, you know, Rabbit Ears Audio, mm-hmm. Rudy and I just kept talking. And uh, I guess maybe it was about a year ago, the subject of recording whistles uh, came up because I, over in uh, Brooklyn, uh, Pratt, the Pratt Institute has a, a really unusual New Year celebration. Uh, there's <laughs> a gentleman there named uh, Conrad Milster, who's involved in a lot of Uh, really interesting projects. Uh, He maintains a lot of uh, historical um, engines that were used for power generation. Uh, He's just involved in a lot of uh, of turn-of-the-century steam-powered stuff and gas-powered stuff, and he's just a real uh, character and a half. But so every year, uh, every New Year's... um, Let me just pick that up again on my phone, just made be But every New Year's... Every New Year's Conrad uh, takes a pipe off of the boiler at uh, Pratt and everyone brings out their whistles and instead of uh, fireworks or, um, you know, uh, loud bands playing in the middle of Brooklyn, you hear steam whistles at, uh, you know, at the crack of the New Year. And uh, it is incredibly loud and (laughs) incredibly joyous and... I sort of got the bug then, and uh, I reached out to Conrad so I could get out there a little earlier than and, you know, if he'd bl- you know blow the whistles before everyone got there. Yeah. And I just remember this moment of watching. There was a uh, the campus security vehicle on the Pratt's campus driving by as I was recording, and I'm thinking, oh damn, this vehicle is going to ruin this take. Mm-hmm. And it was in the middle of this whistle blowing, and you just can't you can't hear a damn thing from <laughs> yeah. the car because of the, the the just the sound pressure from this whistle. And so I was completely enamored with him at that point. And then I just started reaching out to Rudy because I knew he was doing work with Lionel. And we just started talking about trying to hunt down some material that would be both interesting to for his work and also, you know, that would be appealing to a lot of other folks too.
0: Uh, Rudy, what can you say? I mean, I'm just, I'm just even looking at your, your website and getting some background on your involvement with recording various sounds. At what point? Does it just be like, oh, I've heard that before? Like, what is that endless search like for you of finding different sounds? I mean, it just seems like there's only so many sounds that are produced from a train. But, you know, what have you found over the years of being around so many of these records?
1: Uh, It's surprisingly varied. Um, There are uh, some nice quotes from uh, Walter Murch, the film editor, Mm -hmm. talking about how alive the the sound of a steam locomotive is. It It feels like it's an actual living, breathing thing. So, um, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but one might say, well, you've recorded a lot of singers. At some point, don't they all sound the same? Right. Yeah, to some point, yes, they all sound the same, but uh, <laughs> everyone is, is unique.
0: What have you found just, I mean, like even just from this project, I mean, like you mentioned, there's this high amount of SPL that's present in the recording and, you know, I feel like people become specialists in these types of endeavors. Like at a certain point you understand what's required to record these, these um, high SPL sounds. So, I mean, even for you, Michael, you know, what has been your experience of even on your own or working with Rudy on these projects? Well, in, in,
2: in this case, I mean, I've recorded other really loud high SPL sources like, um, like, uh, rocket motor, like really large-scale rockets mm-hmm. and um, uh, jet turbines and a crazy massive Soviet helicopter. But to be honest with you, these,
0: these whistles are probably like I was most terrified of. Um, <laughs> From what aspect? From physically being there or just what your ears are going to be subjected to?
2: Well, I mean, there's not a moment you want to take your hearing protection off when you're recording these, at least in my opinion. And there were a couple moments when I did, and of course those are the moments where the guys who were setting everything up thought oh let's just test this out for a second of course my, you know you just get Ugh. destroyed for a second but um but i think the challenge is uh, when you're you know i set up about 8 channels for this just to make sure that uh, we got really diverse material but also usable material and i because i had 8 channels i also experimented with some stuff that was closer than you probably would find useful if you were using them the way that Rudy wants to use them but maybe there's some not so you know, obvious uses that uh, something super close might get you, but I found that with with these whistles, if you're if you're too close, you get the sound of this like the only way to describe it, and maybe Rudy, you can help me. It's like it's like ripping of air, you mm-hmm. know, with like the the steam coming out of the opening in the whistle, and it just sounds, it just doesn't sound like what you want it to sound like, or what the stereotypical steam whistle might sound like, ripping. You know, it just sounds like this air just ripping. Yeah, and. That's a. It's an interesting sound. It's a useful sound. I don't know if how useful it is if you want to place a steam whistle in something, Mm -hmm. you know, in a scene or you know, in a train, you know, in 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 a Lionel train. But um, so I think it was finding uh, finding the places where you could get different sounding perspectives and have them be both useful in a literal sense and also if people want to maybe use these for less literal forms of sound design. and and the SPL, just, you know, high SPL stuff just presents that challenge because you don't want the, the sound, I mean, it's hard to describe it as the sound of the pressure, but mm-hmm. um, you just don't want that to be the primary thing that people hear. You don't want to hear the sound of steam pushing out of something. You want to hear... The, that sound reflecting in the space more than you hear that immediate thing happening at the point of the whistle. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. What are the um, the range of like where does uh, one of these whistles like what's the range SPL wise of of how loud it is usually? Too loud.
1: Yeah, they're <laughs> oh. they are extremely loud. I mean, I've never tried to make a measurement, um, okay. a calibrated measurement of just how loud they are, but I'm sure that if you're in the vicinity of it, it is well in excess of 120 or 130 decibels
0: yeah and i can just imagine even being that close is super i mean that, that can be really damaging what, what have you guys found is like the best way to approach and from like even mic choices and and signal path like getting down to the nitty-gritty of the technical w- of approach what do you find is like the best mixture of microphones and kind of how it ends up on you know in the final recording
1: well i my process is um, probably less demanding in that regard than mm-hmm. um, Michael's might be. Obviously, for a general-purpose sound library, um, super high fidelity uh, is is what he can deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of uh, my work for Lionel, these sounds are being rendered out of a 40-millimeter loudspeaker Mounted inside the train, running around the track, I, I would say it's 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 both a very sophisticated and a very lo-fi playback system. Um, but that said, um, certainly on all the recordings um, that I've done over the years of these sounds, like Michael says, you do want an assortment of um, of mics at, at a different distances to try and capture something. Mm-hmm. Um, the the usual suspects, um, Sennheiser MKH or Sheps, um, something that fits in a blimp because we're of course working outside, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know at various times I've certainly brought along all sorts of oddball dynamics or you know a buyer ribbon or uh, you know you've got extra channels, put an extra mic on there and and maybe you'll get something interesting.
0: Mm. What about for you, Michael? What, what have you found for your approach?
2: I, you know, I pretty much agree with Rudy on most of that. I mean, you know, you know, I had a lot of, you know, Sennheiser and Sheps up that day. uh, And then I experimented a little bit, like, um, you know, maybe less than 10 feet from where they mounted the whistles on this, you know, steam engine. um, I put up a Sennheiser 421, which is a microphone you'd often see used on you know, drums or floor toms, you know, uh, just because it can handle, A, it has like a lot of low end and it can handle a lot of SPL. And on some of the larger whistles, you know, the diaphragm's still totally folded because it's less than 10 feet away. Um, and uh, and other times you got this really, really unique close perspective that might be useful in certain situations that, uh, you know, in less literal, it may be less literal uses uh, but to, you know, that's where, oh wow, that's a really cool sound of this, this, this steam like ripping, like just, just sounds like air just ripping, you know, and that mm-hmm. can be used for so many different things. And that microphone was there to, to kind of play around with that. And then I also took a uh, DPA 4060, which is a lav that also has, you know, there isn't a ton of dynamic range in that mic, but it has a lot of low, it has a a lot of low end and I actually taped that down to, um, a railroad tie. Um, so it was on the ground it was, you know it, it was just sort of a shot in the dark to see what happened. And I, I I really liked a lot of the takes that uh came out of that mic. Um but some of my favorites, uh, and I think Rudy would probably agree, is um, you know, that we I had two MS pairs up, uh a Sennheiser MS pair and a Sheps MS pair, and uh this rail the where where we recorded this, there were really tall trees on either side mm-hmm. and uh there were some really beautiful reflections and uh, without you know, there's I decoded a lot of the MS to stereo, but a lot of the the recordings from the microphones that were the figure of eight microphones, so they're you know directly off axis from the source, uh, sound really beautiful. Like the reflections sound really beautiful. It sort of gives you a beautiful distant perspective, and you get that feeling of being like in a canyon, or you know just hearing those kind of echoes from these really loud whistles in a really indirect way. and and, and those are some of my favorites.
0: I think of the fact that a lot of um, early recordings, even like, you know, the releases that they did on vinyl records were of train sounds. Like it's been a it's been kind of like this thing that people have been attracted to for a long time of of recording trains. And like it's there's a fascination about the incredible characteristics of a of a train recording. What have you guys found that, like draws you personally to recording trains? What, what do you like about just the challenge of it.
1: Well, you're right there's a rich history of uh, recording these sounds. You know, uh, everyone uh, thinking back would probably um, reference the stereo recording of a you know locomotive traveling across your living room from left to right. Right. Um, some of some of my favorites um, are um, O. Winston Link, the the famous photographer, also did a lot of really really good quality sound recordings of the same locomotives. He's better known for photographing um, and um, a little bit later uh, Brad Miller from Mobile Fidelity Labs uh, did a ton of great recordings and and um, you know uh, especially the steam locomotives they they really do have uh, a character um, that is very very live, very lifelike you know it's it's this large, it's you know breathing steaming you know fire breathing creature and um it's uh it's always exciting to be be around a live steam locomotive.
2: Hmm. What about you from Michael? Uh it's interesting. I mean one of the first gigs I had just recording, you know, uh outside of my whole radio background, one of the first gigs I got uh when I was first starting out was um I knew someone who was doing sound design for an exhibit at the Smithsonian that was called America on the Move, and it was all about sort of early forms of transportation in the United States. And um, just through a friend, this guy who was sound designing the exhibit knew I had some nice microphones and uh, was young and excited, and and, uh, he sent me up to New Haven, Connecticut to a small trolley museum. So my first exposure to sort of historic, you know, whether trains or trolleys was this place that I spent basically an entire uh day uh it was in actually in East Haven Connecticut and and this trolley track it was this little museum and this trolley track like went through all these really beautiful the backyards of all these beautiful homes and I'm sure they're all pissed because like on weekends the the trolley would just go through like several times taking kids through there all the time and Mm -hmm. um but I had the whole place to myself with these guys and um I just had a, a blast and then I just started exploring some more and then we ended up for the same gig record going out to steam town in scranton pennsylvania where they have tons of steam locomotives and a big old roundhouse and um they have a big repair facility that was really operational when i was there and we recorded all the machinery this old turn of the century machinery that they still use to you know clean out these boilers and 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 work on these old trains cuz it's not like you know people are making new uh, equipment to uh to work on that kind of stuff. And uh, I also recorded a ton of that in a place in uh, Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania, that is still really busy uh, Mm. repairing a lot of trains. Uh, They have a pretty active business. So I've seen kind of all sides of that, and it's just kind of thrilling to be around because there's definitely a group of people who are uh, not only keeping this stuff alive for historic reasons, but there's people who are actively working on these these locomotives just to to keep them going.
0: For you, uh, Rudy, how do you describe just kind of tasks that you have like you're saying like uh, Michael and and you are doing these high-end fidelity you know high fidelity recordings and yet the end result application is going to be a lower fidelity experience are there other places besides the the trains and like the obvious places that these these sounds are used by the company
1: uh not so much um you know the, the the primary usage is to be in the model itself um and you know, I might um, you know, if we're making some kind of promotional video or or something like that, um Lionel's also involved in some digital initiatives. So there's um a iOS game called Battle Train. I've provided some sounds from our library for that. Mm-hmm. Um uh but um yeah, I can't think offhand of anything okay. else outside that
0: how much time was spent just capturing all the sounds that ended up in the library i mean in your note to me mike you said it was over 15 steam whistles but what was the total sum of of what you recorded it was two we had i think what amounted to almost
2: two full days um we recorded down in north carolina at the um the new hope valley railroad and Mm -hmm. uh we had uh almost two full days of uh recording one night one day went well into the evening, which kind of amazed me that uh we were you know blowing these really loud whistles in an area where <laughs> there were some people who 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 lived there yeah and uh it was going well past eleven o'clock at night um and then the next day we i think we picked up at around um maybe nine or ten in the morning and went until about uh three but it was you know a significant amount of time and uh we just uh, a, and it was there was not a lot of stopping in between other than to just to change whistles, uh, because we just wanted to get through a lot and, and we had a limited amount of time to do it.
0: How, how do you describe just even the decay of the sound? Cause it's so important. Like in your recordings, I hear it's, it's a big part of the sound, but it just seems like at what point, I mean, it's, it's all, I guess it's, it depends on what the environment is that you're around. So what is the ideal environment to have that decay show up in, in these recordings for, for the trains?
2: you know, I think Rudy has more experience with this, can speak to this a little bit more, but I mean, I think in this location, in this location, we really lucked out because, you know, you can't really pick and, in a lot of ways, you can't really pick and choose where your your steam engine is going to be, you know? Um, uh, in this case, I, I wanted it to be stationary. I didn't want to record these whistles on a train that was moving. Um, and I, I'm sure Rudy wanted the same thing. And um, we found a location that had a, a number of whistles and could bring in whistles from other locations. And that's what they did. Uh, And it just so happened that this particular railroad, when we were looking for a place was, was fairly isolated. And, uh, that was the, the big thing was that it wasn't around any major roads, not a lot of, there wasn't going to be a lot of vehicular traffic. And, uh, it wasn't really near an airport. And, uh, when we, when I first got out there, I, I noticed all these super tall trees. Um, so, that became a a great point of reflection for a lot of the sounds but you know an ideal thing would be if this thing was parked in the middle of a canyon uh-huh. uh but you know north carolina doesn't have a lot of vast canyons <laughs> so uh but in 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 that sense with these with these really tall uh trees that were all around uh it ended up making for a, a great environment for that
1: yeah it's nice to have uh some acoustical support from the surrounding mountains, uh, trees, land features. Um, as, as Michael says, you don't necessarily have a lot of choices once, uh, they find a place to, once you find the locomotive and and a place where they can blow whistles for you, you make it work. But, um, you always get something back from the environment because these things are so loud that, um, you will get... You know your 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 noise floor is really low um, yeah. wherever you are <laughs> compared to the signal level of these whistles. So you you will get significant contribution from the surrounding area, and in almost all cases, it's usable at least for the first few seconds before it might drop down into uh, a point where it becomes um, interfered with by by other sounds. I remember one time recording. At a coal-fired power plant in in Gallatin, Tennessee, Um, a diesel locomotive um, that uh, was relatively rare to find an operating one. It was um, for those who care about these things. It was a Fairbanks-Morse Baby Trainmaster, and um, this was an operating coal-fired electrical plant and. You know, maybe 200 yards away, there was this enormous bulldozer that was pushing coal up this huge pile, and then it would back down the hill. And when it was back, I don't know what the mechanism involved was, but it made this unbelievable (laughs) sound as it was rolling backwards down the hill. And I, you know, I'm trying to record this train, and you know, this um, air horn and the sound of the uh, of the train's prime mover, the diesel engine operating, and um, even though there was this ridiculous bulldozer making this awful noise, really close by, uh, it was actually fine. You you can they're so loud that um, you know you 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 can you can cover up all manner of background sounds during the run up for this. Michael I know was very concerned about bird song in the background and you know he, he would in every conversation we had there would be some reference to well, I'm just hoping that there's not a lot of bird song going on and after a couple times of telling him really don't worry about that um, I sort of stopped but I, I think he would probably agree that um, signal to noise is, very forgiving for this subject.
2: Yeah, it's the 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 birds were not the birds nor the insects at night uh, didn't really they, they really didn't present a problem.
0: I like it how like just every every concern that you have of background noise whether it be airplanes or traffic is not even an issue. Like this is a rare occurrence so that's like a factor of of your recordings.
2: Well, there's a there there's a lot of funny. Uh, so you know, I was several a good distance away from where the guys who were operating the, the, the the steam were. And we had little walkie talkies. And, uh, if you listen to some of the, um, you know, some of the tape in between the edits, uh, you hear me often, you know, getting on the walkie talkie, and it's like, all right, hold for cow. Uh, hold for cow and there so that was the biggest obstacle that that night actually the first night was uh i guess there was a guy who just had some cows nearby and uh i'm sure it wouldn't have been an issue but i kept hearing them and i was paranoid so we would just stop wait for the cow to finish doing its thing like just it had a moo and we let it moo and then we'd move on um (laughs) so that was one of the bigger that was one of the bigger challenges that day but yeah it's you know, Rudy's absolutely right. Like, the, the signal-to-noise ratio is is just so dramatic that uh, you can definitely get away huh. with more. And, you know, my big concern over birdsong was, you know, um, the moment you have any sort of songbird in there, and, you know, you can deal with some of it, you can edit that out, but, you know, then it localizes your recording to a specific place, you know? And it's, like, the last thing I want is, oh, man, I can only, you know, have have people buying these things be like, I can only use this thing in, you know, in, yeah. in, the, in the eastern seaboard, you know, and... Um, yeah. You just, so whenever I'm planning these recordings, whether it's steam whistles or anything else, right, you just want to make sure your location is clean. And, um, and that's what often makes recording stuff outside on the East Coast it's harder than, say, you know, a lot of cars get recorded in the desert in Southern California because you can, uh, you can avoid a lot of bird song or sounds that'll localize your, um, uh, Localize your recordings to a place, or have to deal with even just editing that out later. So, yeah. um, uh, it's it's nice when when uh, when the, your source actually obliterates the possibility of that ever being an issue. Mm.
0: I, I think these projects are really exciting, even if you know it is a single subject that you're focusing on. Because there are, like we were saying in the beginning, there's there is a lot of detail and differences and and subtleties that you can find even. You know, with the same type of train or different varieties that you come across. I mean, just wrapping up for you guys. You know, what what is your takeaway from this last trip? Even like we were saying, this isn't the first train that I'm sure that both you guys have obviously recorded, but or been a part of. But what was your takeaway from this this last project? Uh,
2: well, for me, you know, it's it's, it's it was a real joy because you know Rudy gets to work on this stuff all the time, and uh, it was really a, a joy to be able to go after some of the stuff and, and deliver some of this material, you know, and, and just spend some time talking to Rudy about, you know, best practices and approaches for this, because it's not something I get to do all the time. And and these whistles are so, um, you know, a lot of them, I mean, there are a couple that are really shriekers, you know, like, um, <laughs> and tough to take, And but there are some really, there, in this collection, there are some really beautiful sounding ones and really haunting ones Um there was one called um, the Virginia Creeper mm. uh, that's in the, in the collection. And, you know, I guess it was a whistle that was associated with a specific train line. And uh, I remember reading, you know, doing some research about it and, and reading about people describing hearing this sort of haunting whistle as it would pass on this train. And when, uh, when we were recording this, I mean, it's just an, uh, you know, a- otherworldly sound that came out of this this thing. It was just super haunting. Um, so there, there, there were some surprising things that you, you know, for me that I just didn't expect, right. To hear something that haunting. Um, and then there was, you know, a couple of like, um, I'm trying to remember what the, the really nice six chime in there was. Do you, do you remember Rudy? Um,
1: uh, offhand? No, but I, I have, I, I, I agree about the Virginia creeper. Um, the, the thing that I'm always listening for in these sounds and what I'm trying to do in my work is to use sound to create this emotional connection between the person who's playing with the product and the product making them feel like they're actually controlling this enormous machine that's maybe you know 50 yards away instead of a small model that might be just at arm's length from where they're sitting and um, you know sound is such a, an evocative way to create an emotional reaction that um, these these whistles are um, really unique sounds and um, create all kinds of uh, all kinds of emotional re- responses and um, that's what makes it interesting to keep working with this material.
0: Yeah, I mean, just the history. I mean, I can. I always. I've never had a direct relationship with. The train culture or I mean obviously I've been around trains but like just the history of this company is pretty amazing that you know it was founded in the early 1900s and it's still today there's a huge community around it and I think it's really great to have these discussions even you know here in 2015 because it just shows that there's a continued interest in not only trains but trying to capture what sounds are coming from different periods of time. And I think, you know, might just, the sounds might just be used for a toy train now, but I can only imagine usage in the future. You know, people are going, I want that sound of that train from 2015, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Lionel is 115 years old this year. And, um, you know, it's a privilege to be making sounds for an audience that is so, um, particular and, uh, invested in, uh, you know the in the sounds that they're hearing and um so yeah it's it, it, it's quite a treat
0: cool well, thank you guys both for taking the time to talk about this i guess um both of you guys have websites uh dot com, and for you michael it's i guess rabbit ears audio.com is that correct yeah that's right
1: and of course uh lionel.com and lionel.com
0: uh, right i was looking on the website is there a section there for any sound uh, on the website currently
1: There are individual products. will have, um, sound clips posted, um, just this week working on a a set of zombie sounds for a, a themed product coming up. And I'm, I'm sure a product like that will have, um, a significant sound preview on the website. It, it, it varies depending on, on the product, how much, um, how much preview is is actually on the site.
0: Wow. And what about for you, Michael? What's coming up for you the rest of the year, if you can even think ahead that far?
2: Um, well, there's something I've been sitting on for a long time just because it was it took forever to record, and then I had to take a break from it. Um, I spent uh, a good chunk of last winter uh, recording uh, surround ambiences uh, on rooftops uh-huh. uh, all over New York City. And, um, you know, that's something, that, that's what I'm actually cutting on right now. It's just a ton of material. I re- like most things, I just tend to over-record because I just get obsessed with the things. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and um, it, you know, it was a project that was a, originally done for a, a French animated film that took place in New York City and they wanted a lot of stuff from Elevation. And then I just sort of got obsessed with it because I started spending all this time on on uh, rooftops around New York City and, and you know, I have a love-hate relationship with living here and <laughs> and being... <laughs> Being up that high on a lot of buildings uh, and just hearing it from that point of view, it it was uh, it was kind of addicting, and um, so I have a lot of material (laughs) to work through, and uh, it's it's pretty great.
0: It definitely beats being in an office. I'd say that. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. But often, often those records would happen after I was in an office or studio all day long, and then you know, dragon gear, but I won't complain. It it, it was, uh, I would think I was on over 20 rooftops in, in a wow. three month period. So, uh, it was a pretty great way to see, uh, the city in a way that I hadn't seen it in all the years that I've lived here. So, uh, no, that, that was pretty special.
0: Cool. Well, thank you guys for spending the time. This is really cool. And I hope this reaches some folks who have even learned or heard about train recordings. It's not like I said, it's not something that I, have ever been part of or been around but I'm well aware of them so thanks guys for for spending the time to talk about it thank you yeah thanks for having us